It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing investment and financial planning advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now at 919-860-9783 with your financial planning questions. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight. This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Curtis, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can we help you this evening? Can you hear me? Uh, you're, you're cutting in and out. Are you on a speakerphone by any chance? No, I'm on the radio on a cell phone on a car. <laughs> well, we'll take a best shot at it. Go ahead, Curtis. How can we help 520, you? 529 plan. Yeah, what uh, What can I help you about them? Is North Carolina the best plan in America? Well, no. Uh, okay. Uh, but 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 let's let's find out a little bit about even why uh, or if a, if a five twenty nine is a good plan for you. Uh, how old are you, Curtis? Well, I want it for my great grandson. It's for your great grandson, and how old is he? He is uh, 18 months. Oh, it's just a little baby. Okay. Um, the advantage of the 529 plan, why are you, why are you trying to uh, set one up, first of all? I want to have him go to college while I'm gone. Okay. So you have two choices, of course. Uh, you can do, you don't have to do a 529 plan to help him go to college, just as I have not for my grandchildren. Okay, I help my grandkids go to college, of course, but by the same token, I'm not using a 529 plan. So the 529 plan is a program, and each state offers one, and you don't have to choose any particular state. You can choose any program you want. Uh, the, the money that you put in there is able to be used at the time the kid wants to go to college, but the real benefit that people use it for is tax savings. So is that one of, I mean, is, is that your situation? Yes. Tell me a little bit about, you know, how old are you, Curtis? 81. You're 81. And what's your investment portfolio look like right now on your side? Uh, it's pretty hefty. How much do you have in non-retirement investments? Well, I'm retired, of course. Right. I mean, non-401K, non-IRAs, but uh, individual investment stocks, bonds, mutual funds, CDs? Probably $250,000. All right. So we've got about 250000 in individual non-retirement investments. And do you have an investment portfolio also? No. So this is all of your investments. Is this 250000 no, I have uh, I have some in bonds, plain old old time war bonds, as you call them. Right. Which are not which are not drawing anything. Right. And how much do you have? In, are they double E? Yes. All right. How double much? E what's the other one? H or I? Yeah. So how much do you have in your buying your government bonds? A hundred thousand. All right. What else do you have? Uh, how about retirement plans? He said he has none. Well, I'm retired Air Force. All right. So, so now we're over in the in. So this is all your investments, the 250000 that you have in personal investments and the $100,000 in government bonds. That three fifty. that's all you've got right now as far as investments. Correct. Now, as far as income, you've got a government pension. I got a Air Force retirement and I got a post office retirement and I've got Social Security. All right, so you've got a pension, you've got Air Force, post office, and Social Security. And how about your home? My home is uh, worth uh, $125,000. It's been paid for 25 years. All right, so now I presume that your 
Social Security and your pension and your post office pension, all those, uh, they take care of your needs, right? Yes, sir. So now, by the way, are you still married? Yes. So at your, at your death, I presume that you want everything to go to your wife. That's correct. I have a will. All right. And I would not go ahead and put something into a 529 plan uh, right now because uh, I think I'd rather make sure it goes to help take care of your wife. You see what I'm saying? But I would yeah. put but I'd put in my will how much you'd like to give to your grandkids if your wife predeceases you. Or this great-grandson. Right, this great-grandson. In other words, you might put in your will that if my wife has passed away, when I pass away, I would like $25,000, let's say, to go to my great-grandson to be used for college. You could do right. something like that. But I, yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't go ahead and put it into the 529 plan right now. And... For you, just for your understanding, the North Carolina plan, I, in my opinion, is not as good even as the Virginia plan. But I've heard that. Yeah, um, and that because that's the that's the investments that are inside the plan. But still, I don't think that I would set one up with your financial numbers the way they are. Do you have a pen on you, Curtis? I do not. All right, uh, I want you to memorize my office phone number. It goes like this: USA seven thousand. USA seven thousand. Yep, and it's, of course it's nine one nine. But right. if you uh, when you get to a stopping point, if you just type in somewhere in your cell phone, or if you get a pad of paper and a pencil, write down USA seven thousand. Call my office, and we'll set up an appointment to meet if you like, and I can go over what I think you should be doing both for yourself. Your investments, I can tell you my opinion on what I think about your investments as far and, and also your wife's what happens, and we can cover all of it more specifically in my office. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Write down USA 7000. I'm on that. <laughs> good call and good talking to you, Curtis. Call again. Thank you, so much. Thank you so much. Bye. All right. Well, that's a typical question. It is. It is. And it's it's sort of like one of the questions. It's, you know, a lot of... A lot of times we say in our office that we we want to make sure that you don't let the tax tail wag the dog. That's right. There are some tax benefits to a 529 plan, uh, but that should not be the driving force uh, because uh, we ought to look and see really – What's the whole financial picture of the client? And there, there are there, are, there are there are a lot of questions that are like this. Should I set aside money for dot 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 children's education, great grandchildren's education, uh, for their own building of wealth? Um, but when you when you start pulling the question apart and you find out, well, the answer needs to be really customized to your current situation. And this is what we do, you know, every week, every day of, the, of every week in, in our office is pull apart. The question and say, okay, well, the overriding need, if it were taxes, let's say, then you might want to do this. Yeah, he does not have a high tax problem. I can tell Curtis is not in a high income tax bracket where tax uh, reduction is, you know, paramount. Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. There are many bad habits that might be keeping investors from becoming millionaires. And I thought we might discuss some of these tonight, Doug. You know, that's a very good point because so often we talk about the good habits, but indeed there are bad habits that most people or many people have that keeps them from becoming a millionaire. You know, it's no secret that spending more than you earn is bad for your budget, but that's not as well understood as the not-so-obvious habits that can sort of hurt you, the easiest way to become a millionaire for most people besides discipline is automation, priorities, and goal setting. And there are financial habits that most of us agree can hurt the long-term investing and the ability to become financially independent. So, Debs, let's pick one out. What might you say would be the first Bad habit. I would say investing only what's left over. That can hurt you in the long term. Yeah, what do you mean by that? Well, if your savings plan is socking away whatever's left over at the end of the month, 
it's time to prioritize because usually there's too much month and not enough money. So if you put yourself last in line to get paid, you may not get paid. So if you, when you get your paycheck, have a certain amount that goes directly into savings or investing and it is set aside immediately, that's a, what we call pay yourself first. That's so you're the, the first, first place that gets paid. And then pay everybody else with what's left over. That's right. Instead of paying everybody else first and investing what's left over. That's right. All right. First bad habit people have, investing only what's left over. I can think of another bad habit. Okay. Setting and forgetting. Yeah. You know, your investment rate should increase throughout your working career. You don't want to just set something. Maybe you've originally started to invest, let's say, uh, 10% off of every paycheck. Well, whenever you get a pay raise, your savings rate should also get bumped up. That's and, right. And, and then also not reviewing your retirement accounts can be costly. Evaluating your plan at least once a year to make sure that you're well balanced. So that's a bad habit, just sort of setting and forgetting. What's, what's a, another bad habit? Sure. Another bad habit is spending too much on housing. Ooh, big one. Yes. Mortgage and rental payments are often the biggest budget eaters. They eat up the most amount of percentage-wise of our budget, but they should be only less than 28% of our gross income. So do the math, find out what the 28% of your gross income is, and see if you are within that. Now, it should include principal, interest, taxes, and insurance. Another bad habit is not taking full advantage of tax benefits at work. Don't give more to Uncle Sam than you have to. You know, you can reduce your top-line income in a meaningful way. Some companies offer, of course, 401k plans, health savings accounts. So, bad habit there, not taking advantage of the tax benefits that are available at work. Now, Doug, another one is being too conservative when investing. Wall Street's gyrations aren't for the faint at heart. But it's important to have the right risk exposure for your age. Some people will give rules of thumb, but really, how do you know if you're too conservative? Yeah, and I, I've got a good answer for how you know. Use a Tell certified us. financial planner. Come and see us. That's what we do. That's right. We will give you a, a, a true, impartial advice about whether you are too conservative or too risky. And some people... <laughs> I remember some people come to see us and they remind me of standing in a, with two feet, one in a bucket of ice water and one in a bucket of boiling water, and they're all messed up. So you don't want to be too conservative. You want to know that you've got the right balance mm-hmm. in your investment portfolio. All right. Another biggie is impulse shopping. And when it comes to making major purchases, patience really is a virtue. You want to make a big purchase, wait a day, sleep on it, see if, it, if you really need it the next day. 99% of the time you won't. All of this to say that, yes, there are many bad habits out there that you might yourself find yourself be um, a victim to. So you need the help of a certified financial planner to become a millionaire. The goal is for most of us with enough time to be able to uh, set aside through retirement savings and personal savings at least a million so that we know that we can support ourselves when we retire and when there is uh, no uh, income coming in from outside the, the job. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Let's take another caller, Doug. Francis, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening? Yes. What do you need to keep in your emergency fund? There's no one answer for all people. Okay. So let's take a look at Francis. How old are you, Francis? 64. 64 years old. Right. Are you married or single? I'm a widow. Widow. And where are you getting your income from? Um, mainly Social Security. Social Security. How much are you receiving? Um, 700 monthly. You're getting 700 a month. Social Security. Let's take a look at your assets next, Francis. What do you have in the way of your of uh, cash and CDs and liquid assets? Seventy-five thousand. All right, so we've got about seventy-five thousand in liquid uh, cash right now. Assets. Then, how about mutual funds? No. Okay. Anything in stocks or bonds? No. Limited partnerships, real estate. Two houses in real estate, probably forty thousand dollars a piece. Farmland, probably fifty thousand. All right, the two the two prop real estate properties that are forty apiece are they producing income for you? No. Okay. 
and the farm property is about how much? Oh, just very little, $1,500 a year. All right. Oh, no, I meant the value of the farm property. Oh, about 50000 About 50000 All right. Do you have any other assets, or is this basically a picture of your assets? This is basically it. All right. Well, the guidelines that I would like to apply for you would be somewhere in the three- to six-month range of living expenses. So we have to then come to your living expenses. Do you know what your expenses are running? Around $600 a month, if I'm real careful. All right. Uh, and that sounds a little low, actually. I'd be surprised. There are probably things that you spend uh, through the year that you don't think of, like clothing that you don't do monthly. You, you're, you're probably right. Yeah, and they're probably gifts. The, the non-monthly expenses, the gifts, the clothing. The dining out. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Uh, Maybe it's become near being 800 then if we include the gifts and that type thing. Yeah. I have some very generous children. <laughs> All right, let's uh let's assume that over a period of a year that you spend maybe twelve thousand dollars. All right. That's a thousand a month. Okay. Then if we used a three to six month range, you could get by with as little as three thousand to six thousand a month in cash, but that feels too low for you. I'm not comfortable with you staying that low. So I think in your case, I would go, because I really would need to look at your annual expenses, but I think that I would probably be comfortable if you had about 10000 which would cover you. You see, if indeed you're spending 600 a month, then 10000 divided by 600 that's basically carrying you for a year and a half. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Right. Anything above that 10000 I think, is basically wasted. You should be producing income, but 75000 in cash and CDs and money markets, that's far, far too much. Yeah, these questions are, are, are representative of much of how we spend our week answering clients' questions. You might be wondering about your own emergency fund. How much should you keep? How much should you invest? Uh, it might be, how do I get started with a mutual fund manager? How do I pick investments? How do I make sure I'm not going to outlive my retirement savings. These are all the typical questions that we answer on a weekly basis. And with just a little bit of time left in tonight's show, I would uh, just say that if something has popped in your head tonight, give me a call during the week. My number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. What are the RMD rules for Roth 401ks? The writer says, I turned 70 and a half this year and was just told that I must take a distribution from the Roth 401k I have with my former employer. I thought Roth accounts were not saddled with RMDs. What's going on? Well, while the original owner of a Roth IRA is never required to take distributions, the required minimum distribution rules do apply to Roth 401k accounts. Basically, that means withdrawals based on IRS life expectancy tables must begin in the year you reach age 70 and a half. This is true even though, in most cases, the payouts will be tax-free. That's if fewer than four calendar years have passed since the year you made your first contribution to the Roth 401k, though. Part of the payout will be taxed as non-qualified earnings. And you must pay a distribution for this year based on the balance of the account at the end of 2015. So yes, when dealing with a Roth 401k, you do need to make a required minimum distribution. And if you need advice, call me during the week, 919-872-7000, 919-872-7000, and we'll talk about your Roth 401k. Now, in the world of... Uh, Investments and investment questions. There was definitely something new this week in regard to the world of retirement savings calculators. Yeah, you know, that was very interesting because uh, I, I saw that. That was in the Wall Street Journal. I remember seeing that article there. It was about calculators. And the writer... What she had done, she decided to go ahead and check herself out. And so she said in her article that I plugged in my own information to see how much money I should sock away using one of these retirement calculators. And 
it was the scariest thing I've ever seen, which popped up on my computer. She said, I'm going to have to work until I'm 80 years old to be able to afford to retire. And then to try it out, she grabbed another calculator and all of a sudden it came up with a different story. (laughs) Saying that you would have a surplus. (laughs) Go ahead, retire now. (laughs) So what do you do? You know, to make a projection, you have to make a lot of assumptions about past and future income based on current information. So right off the bat, it can be difficult. How do you account for taxes? What income do you use? The amount people say you need varies. It depends on whether you count medical expenses and whether you plan to reduce consumption down the road. So all of these online calculators... You need to know that they rely on information that's provided by you. And that typically includes your age, your income, your savings, your monthly contributions to retirement plans, and the age that you might want to retire. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm reminded of the old days. We used to have a little phrase, Geico. Remember Geico? I do. Garbage in, garbage out. That's right. These assumptions you put in there, if you put in a certain set of assumptions, you're going to get a certain kind of answers back. Mm -hmm. But It can be garbage depending on what you put in. And the calculators, they're going to always have certain algorithms which estimate how much money will be needed depending on what you put in. But I don't know. If you ask me and some of my peers, we're pretty much going to say the calculators at best will give you a rough guide, but they're no substitute for a person. For a certified financial planner and a comprehensive financial plan, It's like we always say, you wouldn't go ahead and try and do brain surgery on yourself. Don't try and do financial planning with a calculator. Absolutely. Now, one factor that can dramatically alter the forecast in these assumptions and financial planning calculators or retirement planning is longevity. Some calculators assume retirement savings should last a set number of years, and that opens up a whole other can of worms, Doug, because now you are trying to estimate how long this is going to last. Well, the word last can be perceived wrong. Some people want uh, the retirement savings to last and deplete, and that's, that's totally against what we think is proper for a retirement plan. Actually, most of the calculators do that, Deborah. That's exactly what happens. They might ask you, what's your life expectancy? And so, uh, what should I use? And if you say, well... Uh, we would like our investments to last through our retirement years for 30 years. Well, what happens if you live 31 years? Right. <laughs> yeah, your money. And in real, in real life, as we know with our clients, nobody likes to watch their money be going down, down, down. That's right. It triggers panic. So, But that's the way the calculator works. It takes out the human aspect of it. Now, Vanguard is very strong about one of their calculators. Uh, they have a tool. Uh, the Vanguard tool, and their calculator first says, enter your age, and then they enter the age you want to retire, and then it has a default that says your retirement savings should last 30 years, and you should take out 4% the first year, and continue an inflation factor of 3%. Well, guess what? That only is reliable if the markets are going up over 4%. Absolutely. But if your investments are going up, say, 7%, and you're taking out 4%, then that's fine. If the markets are going down and your investments are going down, you think you're taking out 4%. But every time you take out, you're taking out bigger and bigger. And uh, That's right, because if you get into a sustained bear market at retirement and you spend 4% and increase that by inflation – and your portfolio has fallen, whew, there can be a high risk of prematurely depleting your portfolio. Now, even Vanguard warns you. They say the flip side is that the calculator will not consider market performance. Right. So if you get into a sustained bear market, that means where things are going down for a sustained period of time, and you spend 4% and you increase that by inflation, then you might have a high risk of prematurely depleting your portfolio. 
So this is the real life story of what's out there with these calculators. So I guess we begin where we end with this article, which is for most people, retirement calculators may function best as just a wake up call. After all, who wants to work until you're age 80 because you can't afford to retire? No one does. At that point, there's no plan B and it's too late. Call us during the week at 919-872-7000. The nice thing we can say about our, ourselves, Deborah, is that we have been doing this long enough to where we know what happens. Yes. And all of our clients today who have been with us at least 10, 15, or 20 years, all of them began at a certain place. They achieved financial independence, and they are enjoying their retirement. It, it works if you have someone like us in your court. Yeah, Tom, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can we help you this evening? Oh, yes. Uh, We were just wondering. We just uh, came down from Florida for job-related reasons, and um, we were looking for houses in the Raleigh area, and we thought of maybe we can just purchase a uh, house. And um, my wife has, we, we don't have much, but my wife has a 401k. Uh, it has somewhere around $30,000 in it. Uh, could we use that uh, 401k or uh, as a down payment to purchase something? Or if not, what can we do with that money to actually make it grow more? Yeah, these are really good questions, Tom. First of all, uh, welcome to North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, welcome to North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, welcome to North Carolina. But but in 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 all sincerity, uh, the the worst thing you could do is to take something that has been put aside for your future financial independence in a retirement account, such as a four hundred one k, and deplete it because all assets break into two types. One we call use assets. And the other we call investment assets. Well, right now it's an investment asset. A home is a use asset. It's not an investment. A home is a, it's a shelter. It keeps the warm, the storm off of you. It's a place to sleep in, but it's not an investment asset. Uh, as soon as you turn around and sell it, you got to get another home. So it's never a, an investment asset. So you would be taking an investment asset and converting it to a use asset, which would be self-destructive, in my opinion. Now then, the question is, what should you do with regard to the 401k? Well, you have two choices. One, leave it alone, or the other, roll it into an IRA. And I think that, uh, Deborah, I think you'd agree with me, definitely roll it into an IRA. Well, uh, did you say an old 401k, meaning she is no longer employed at the old employers? Correct. Okay. So, yes, once you terminate employment, you have the right and the privilege by IRS rules to be able to leave uh, the employer and take with you what you have set aside as untaxed income. So you now have this right to access it and move it into an IRA. Well, the I part is the individual. This is going to give you, going to give her, because it's in her name, it's going to give her the ability to create for herself her own retirement account, choose her own investments. And I mean, well, how, how old are you and how old is she? Um, uh, my wife is um, 39. Okay. 39. 39 to 59, which is the the minimum that you'd be able to access it, she has 20 years at a minimum that she could see that grow. Um, 20 years on that 30,000, there's no reason with choosing uh, the, the right investment vehicle inside of it that you couldn't see it double in size. Now, when we talk about the specifics, I'd want to talk to you individually and off the air, but Doug, do you have your calendar handy? I mean, you're a calculator? Yeah, I was just looking, you know, there, she's so young that if we talk about another 25 years, she's only going to be what, 65 years old? Correct. We're talking about close to $200,000 if it grows at 7%. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. So to deprive yourself of $200,000, uh, you'll be, never buy back those years to <clears throat> compound right. even the so, $30,000. Right. But now the question is, after you roll it out of the 401k and into an IRA, we need to remember that the 401k is what we call a chicken Chicken house house. and an IRA is what we call a chicken chicken house because the chicken in our illustration is the investment, not the house. That's right. And the wolf is the IRS that would like to eat the chickens. So as long as your chickens 
the 30,000 are in a chicken house, the wolf cannot eat them. However, you want to roll your chickens to another chicken house called an IRA and select certain kinds of chickens. Well, what you don't want, you don't want things like index funds. You well, don't want let's things. Let's simple. You don't want cash. You don't you want, want cash. A, you really want an investment. Right. And you want to f- choose an investment that's going to have a historical, um, uh, something you can, you can track and see. Who are the managers? What was the return over the past 10 years? You right. want to choose these managers. Right. So that's the first thing. I would definitely say do it that way. Do an IRA rollover and go into an IRA custodian where they allow you to select whatever mutual funds you want by looking at the managers, the track record, the historical performances, and on that basis, make your move. On the other side, on the house side, again, I would not be buying a house right now. I'd be renting a house because if you rent, you immediately have no debt. And that's a very nice position to be in. And you get the same use out of it. Nobody on the same street that rents a house or is buying a house They all look like the same house. People have the same protection from the elements, but you get the same use out of it without any debt. So that 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 would be my approach. Now, if you have any other questions, by the way, Tom, jot our number down and go to our website. Also, our website has been recently redesigned. We've been getting a lot of feedback this past week from clients and from listeners who say they really like the new website because it has videos of Linda speaking, of myself speaking, of Deborah speaking, and a lot of information. So the website is DougAndLinda.com, DougAndLinda.com, and write our number down, and we'll be happy to set up an appointment to meet with you. The number at the office is... 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Okay, very good. So, Tom, did we answer your question? Is there anything else we can help you with tonight? Uh, you guys were very helpful. Great. Uh, really appreciate it. Well, thank you for being a listener. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Have, Have a wonderful week. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Bye now. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis Family on News Radio 680 WPTF. What's new in the world of estate planning, Deborah? Did you pick up anything this I, week? I did, and it's something that we talk about frequently uh, in our office. It's trusts, and you need to know when to use living trusts for estate plans. Yeah, there was an article in the Financial Planning Magazine mainly addressed, I think it was directed more towards uh, uh, estate, estate attorneys. attorneys. <laughs> Uh, but I like uh, I like what what, what the, the emphasis was because you need to know when to use living trust and when not to use them. Now, any trust created during someone's lifetime is a living trust. However, the expression usually refers to a revocable trust, a revocable living trust. And as the name suggests, that kind of trust can be canceled if the creator of the trust has a change of mind and wants to reclaim the trust assets. Now, probably the best-known benefit of revocable trusts is the ability to avoid the time and expense of going through probate. Here, the creator of a living trust continues to control the trust assets and collect any income those assets produce. However, at the creator's the trust creator's death, the assets will pass according to the terms of the trust without a court overseeing the wealth transfer. Now, I do know that this is the number one uh, attractiveness from the attorney's side. They like this. But to me, it's not the first thing that I like about the living trust. The first thing I like about the living trust is not what happens when you die, but while you're living. Because living trust may be appealing for much more important issues like incapacity protection. Revocable living trusts offer the flexibility of being able to quickly allow a successor trustee to take over at a moment's notice. And this can be effective in the event of a disability like Alzheimer's or a car accident or any other debilitating disease that might happen. And this, to me, is where we see real-life cases, we might like to say, as the rubber hits the road. This is what a financial planner likes because if you've got clients that are with you year after year after mm-hmm. year, as we do, right. we see aging issues, right. and that's where the living trust becomes most powerful. Right. So, so far, we've talked about the revocable living trust providing probate protection, yes. not needing to go through the courts. Number two, 
incapacitation protection. Yes. If something happens to me through illness or accident, someone can step in and speak for me. What's a third benefit? Well, the third benefit is the matter of privacy uh, at death. Because by putting all of your investments and your assets, including your home and all the all your assets in the name of this living trust, then when you pass away, no one knows what was in it. In other words, it's a sad thing to look in the obituary column and to go downtown and find out exactly how much somebody inherited. Because if you inherit something by means of will, it's public knowledge. But if you inherit something by means of a trust, it's not public knowledge. And uh, I've seen cases where uh, we have a wealthy widow, and unfortunately, she's being uh, besieged by phone calls of people who can, quote, quote, help her because they found out what she inherited. So privacy is a big thing to me at death. Now, it is easier to lay out the terms and conditions of when and how assets might pass while avoiding probate expenses. A living trust also is a useful tool when beneficiaries may not be ready to handle the responsibility that comes with a significant inheritance. We have seen many trusts that can cater to children and grandchildren while keeping the assets within the family. And why don't you speak to our uh, a current real-life situation where the... the the parents came in with specific desires. Yeah, it was a radio caller that called and decided they wanted to hire us to do financial planning. And so we're in the process of putting this plan together. And in the fact finding, we found out exactly that, that there is an, a desire that a large amount of wealth not suddenly be dumped on the children. Right. They were very clear. They knew that would ruin their lives. So they looked for a way that they could go ahead and have this written into their estate documents and using a revocable living trust that says, at our death, everything will pass into a children's trust. Right. And then the children's trust will pay out income for X number of years until... Uh, at a certain point, maybe five years or ten years down the road, uh, a large hunk of that children's trust will go to the child, but the trust won't be depleted. And the clients wanted it sp- spread out like that in such a way that their children would not be uh, uh, hit with this large amount of wealth that could sort of destroy their lives in right. a sense. And, and, you know, and they also knew that um, this gave them an ability to speak um, you know, hopefully the children and they will live long lives and this will never need, be needed. But should it be a situation where they were going to inherit, they wanted to be able to speak from the grave and say how they wanted these children to inherit. Well, another I, another thing about uh, trusts is that as in any case with any type of trust, a revocable living trust requires time and expense to create. And you need to know that it has to be... Um, uh, uh, something that you know that there is a time to have the state planning attorney create the document and that there will be no income tax benefits. You bring up a good point, Doug. This is designed not to help in income tax breaks. This is to control privacy, probate, and incapacitation and how you want those assets to be inherited. But another thing you must know about revocable living trusts is that the assets you own must be retitled into the name of the trust. Yeah, the 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 problem that I've seen with people who come to see us as, as financial planning clients that already have a revocable trust being uh, that they've had done in the past is they never put anything in it. They right. never, never got funded because the attorney doesn't generally do that. And so it's it's sort of like a box with nothing in it. It's a watchdog that has no teeth again. Right, right, it's right. right. Watchdog. All the benefits right. of revocable living trust are not going to happen unless there's anything in the That's trust. That's right. So you have to know it's not enough to get the document prepared. You must fund it, retitle the assets in the name of the trust. Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Jeff, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can we help you this evening? Hey, good evening, guys. I just want to let you know I love the show. listen to it every weekend on WPPS. Appreciate it, Jeff. Well, thank you. Hey, well, I got a quick question, and I've, I've... written notes a lot over the time. I have not um, taken the step yet to meet with a certified financial planner. However, I have gotten your package in the mail. I'm just uh, being a little bit lazy about following through, but I wanted to ask you something. So 
for somebody who is not like a, a multimillionaire currently, but let's say your average middle class person, help me understand the, the frequency and the amount of time that is spent on the initial visits versus subsequent visits. Is it once a year? Is it twice a year? How often are the CFP and the clients potentially meeting, assuming it's not a sophisticated client? Well, we are uh, about... Four or five weeks ago, we started talking about something called EGODIM, E-G-O-D-I-M. I don't know if you were listening to that uh, no, that show. Not. Anyway, EGODIM is an acronym for Establish the Relationship, Gather the Information, Analyze the Information, Develop a Financial Plan, implement the financial plan, and monitor on a regular basis. So we start with this E. The E is the crucial factor because it's established the relationship. And during that initial meeting, you need to, if you're meeting with us, for example, uh, we will, of course, have sent you, and you probably already got it, you, you got a form ADV from us, which, which showed you uh, the types of relationships that we offer. Well, mm-hmm. dur- during that initial meeting, we want you to be comfortable that you know what is the relationship you want to hire us for. So we have that laid out, the different options, and then at the end of that meeting, you've told us what is the relationship you want and how much attention you want and how often. Now, sometimes clients will go ahead and ask for advice. They'll say, what do you think is advisable? In that, When I'm asked that question... I always defer it until the last part of the meeting because I don't know that much about the client yet. We establish the relationship. What does he want? Does he want someone to go ahead and write a financial plan and go on fee-based financial planning, flat fee, or does he want to pay just by advice by the hour? Once And he wants to address certain issues one at a time. Once we've gotten comfortable, he and I about the relationship that he wants to hire us for, then I have to find out more during that initial meeting. I have to find out who he is. I have to find out his personality. I've got to find out, is he uh, a laid-back, easygoing person, or is what uh, someone might call a worry wart? And there's nothing wrong with worry warts, and there may be a lot wrong with laid-back people. But the point is, we want the comfort level of the client to be tied to the frequency of the meetings. If the relationship is one that is paid for by the hour, then I would say at a at a uh, a max. Well, let me see. It should be either quarterly, or semi annual, or annual. Annual feels pretty weird to me to wait a whole year before meeting with the client again and looking at his situation. Uh, that's pretty rare. That I'll recommend. The only clients that. Uh, that usually fit into that category are. are um, they're so few and far between. Here's what I would say. The how long and how often, uh, Jeff, kind of goes like this. Our, our how often is going to be based on how complicated your situation is. So if you are, um, let's say, just a young college graduate and just getting started and want to buy some hourly advice on how to build some good financial habits, you might come in maybe twice a year because you're literally just getting started. The more complicated your, your situation becomes, the more usually the client initiates either a, a three-month or four-month review. I think the thing, you know, I think probably one of the things that's been holding me back personally is that, you know, I mean, m- married, two kids, standard middle class, upper middle class, what have you, um, just looking to save, uh, maximize my retirement savings and also trying to put some money, get ahead of uh, the curve with my college education for my kids. But I think the thing that's been giving me some concern is that I'm afraid that it's going to come in come into something where it's going to be more expensive than I thought on an annual basis. Well, let me put you at rest and say this. You buy the hours that you want us to give you advice on. So you're in control from the get-go. And I think that's crucial because in the E of Egadim, establishing the relationship, the comfort the, 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 the comfort of that the client knows what is the relationship that he, what's he expecting from the planner and what's the planner expecting from the client. So uh, it can never be more money than the client wants to spend. The client tells us how much he wants. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. But I will tell you this. If you are married with two children, are you bo- are both you and your wife working? No, no, single income. I'm the only one. Okay, well, that is a crucial need for financial planning because... Uh, you have three people depending on you. So when you say it, I'm just, it's a simple scenario, well, what would be more complicated? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you are the person who in general tends to say, you know what? We better keep a tab on all these things because I got all these different areas of my life and the balls up in the air. And if something falls, I'm the one provider and we've got two children and we need to go. So in your situation, I would say begin and then define it with us once you start working with us. Understood. Well, listen, I appreciate you taking the time to answer my question on that. And, You're welcome, uh, Jeff. Maybe feel a lot better about that. Good, oh, good. Jeff, yeah. yeah, I hope we have a chance to meet with you because, uh, number one, you're a longtime listener. Number two, you've already looked at our form ADV. If you haven't gone through it again and when you got it recently, go back through it again because we list there every service we provide. And basically, the time is established by you. And... uh Looking forward to meeting with you, Jeff. I appreciate your call. And one last thing I would say, Jeff, is that um, one evening while the children are asleep, when you finally get them down and you and your wife are maybe having a uh, a cup of tea or a soda, just start writing down the questions that you have and that your wife has. And then when you um, come in, we can certainly address them. Okay. Good deal. Thank you so much, Linda. I appreciate that. All right. Have a wonderful week, and thanks for calling. You know, I like Jeff's question because it may be something that's in the back of a lot of people's heads, and I like Linda's last answer because that's very important. We will not meet with a client until we have sent them a Form ADV, which is the reform required of the Securities and Exchange Commission defining all of our fees, our services, and what we offer. After we've sent them that, we still won't meet with them until we have received from them enough information to where we can have a, re- a, 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 a good meeting with them. Very productive. A very productive meeting. But even more importantly is what Linda said. When they come into the office, every client says come in with a written, a, 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 a written list of questions. Correct. Every question that you want answered will get answered. And we will answer every question you bring us, no matter what question it is in your financial world. And not only will we answer every question at that first meeting, we will send you a written set of notes of that meeting and written answers to each question that you got. So you will definitely feel you got your money's worth. And where we go from there is according to the relationship that you've wanted to establish with us at the first meeting. That's right. Perfectly said. Isn't it true that every person's situation is kind of basically the same, plus or minus a few zeros, and everybody has their own situation? For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. So, Doug, what else is new in the world of retirement planning? Well, you know, there is a whole new thing happening within the world of 401k options. And more and more of these 401k plans are offering what they call a brokerage window in which participants can buy a whole range of mutual funds and other investments. Not many people know about these. They, 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 I, the statistics are telling me that 40% of large employers are now offering the brokerage window. And I bet many of those employees don't even know it exists. Uh, I have seen many of them come to my office and they have no idea that they have such an option. Similar to regular brokerage accounts, a brokerage window typically allows the employees to pick from thousands of mutual funds which are not listed under the 401k investment choices. Brokerage windows have become more popular with employers as companies have sought to offer most 401k savers a shorter, more manageable list of investment choices. These brokerage windows allow the 401k plans to limit the number of mutual funds on their core investment menus while giving employees who want more options the ability to access to those investments. Yeah, there's a there's a, there's a, a push-pull that's happening here because growing data indicates that by narrowing the choices of the employees, then the 401k plans can more easily help steer the workers into investment portfolios or more like, which are more likely to give higher long-term results. 
So, yeah. So it is a push pull. It's, you know, we want to take away the, the, the long list of maybe our investment choices, but we want to give you the access to buy and choose your own. Because many invest, many employees will just go ahead and leave their money sitting in a savings account in their 401k, which is right. really not going to achieve very much. Right, right. Uh, so when these employers streamline their investment menus, oftentimes they add a brokerage window to allow participants to continue to have access to those funds that they used to have access to before they streamline this list. I saw one statistic. It said only about 1% of employees are using the brokerage window of the ones even Hmm. that have it and everything. And of course, there is the matter of cost. Uh, They do cost a little bit more to go into the brokerage window. Uh, That's true. I... Because it's higher than the typical 401k fees for the core investments. But on the other hand, uh, with the help of someone like us who gives you advice on which investments, once you get into that brokerage window, you've got the world of investments to choose from. And now we can really go ahead and not be limited. And that's where our advice becomes so crucial. Right. It's, you know, it's almost a way to participate in the 401k through this brokerage window as if it were an IRA to where you could buy and put in anything you wanted. That's exactly what it is. So it is somewhat of a, um, a real nice benefit. If your employer offers this brokerage window or brokerage link, give us a call during the week at 919-872-7000. Or if you have a list of investments and options through your employer plan and you want to find out, do you have access to a brokerage window or a brokerage account or brokerage link, give us a call. We'll help you look and find out the answer to that question. It could be very powerful. It is, and Deborah, you know, you're reminding me that many a time we've had clients, when we ask them that question in the office, they say, oh, no, I don't think we have anything <laughs> yeah. like that. And then we look and we see it's hidden there yeah. with a couple little words like broker link or right, something right. like that. Well, and, 90% of the time we'll ask them, you know, do you know what your options are? And they're like, um, no, and I don't even know if I know where to find it. So we'll, we'll together help you find out the answer to the question. That's right. What are your options? What can you invest in? What has the employer already put there as a way to access the world of investments through your salary deferral? And it is. It's a, it's a huge benefit. You want to take advantage of it. And if there's a brokerage window available, a brokerage option, you might want to do um, some sleuthing with us and see if it's available. And then where do you go from there? How do you invest from that point. Any way you, you slice it, this is all about hiring a financial planner to help you do all these things. Yeah, uh, just think of that, 40%. 40% of larger employers are now offering the brokerage window. Right. And you know, it makes sense that they would give you this access to be able to buy things that they don't want to necessarily pay for those relationships as an option to the plan. Mm-hmm. So, um, but this is what it's all about. Being available during the week at 919-872-7000. Being available on Sunday nights at 919-860-9783. We're available to you. We want to answer your questions. And we want to remind you to go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. DougAndLinda.com. And there you'll find out a lot more about us. But especially want to remind you that your money matters because your financial future is at stake. You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com. And listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF.